the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Quite a weekend, a lot happening. I, you know, we haven't talked much about Twitter, uh, the Twitter sale and what's going on with Elon Musk. It's pretty wild stuff. Uh, and of course, still, they're still counting. I'm on a, a semi-secret um, uh, loop uh, with some folks that are out in Arizona and uh, they're still counting. There's still a lot of wrong out there. Um, there's some things in Virginia that look funny. But I guess the biggest news is that the House of Representatives, the U.S. House, will, in fact, be Republican. There was some doubt that it might stay uh, Democrat. So it looks like the Senate is probably going to be uh, Democrat still and the House will be Republican, which brings me to what you need to know today. I will put up on social media a a, um, uh, a um press release for Andy Biggs. Andy Biggs, a congressman who we've known, I've known for 25 years in our organization. I've known him for about 10, uh, but Lake Phyllis Schlafly knew him well and others. He's written books on the Constitution. He was a state senator. I think he was the head of the Arizona State Senate. Um, he's an extraordinary guy. He's in the U.S. House. He's announced he's running for Speaker of the House, and he is doing that in part because he doesn't want, he does not believe that we should um, uh, rush to pick leadership, or and I'm not we, I'm not in the caucus, but the Republican caucus, until there's some thoughts and talk about what happened. Because clearly nothing happened the way it was going to go, was supposed to go to plan, the way most people thought it. So Andy Biggs, who's a great guy, said, hold on, I'm going to run for speaker so uh, that, that everybody realizes there's not enough votes on the floor. Remember, here's how this works. You elect your leader in your own caucus, the Republicans gather. Then when you go out onto the floor, you vote together and you stay together because if you only have 219 and you need 218 to split the, uh, to be the majority, you got to stick together. That's kind of the way you do it. But if when you're in the Republican caucus, you get five or six or eight or 10 people who say, we're not voting for that speaker, they have to be worried that you'd go out on the floor and hold back and cause chaos. So it's a big deal to have that much oomph. And it's a, it's a lot of courage for Andy Biggs to get up there and do this. Everybody's licking their wounds right now. Everybody's devastated that there wasn't more success. Everybody's attacking Trump. I don't know. I know why, but it's crazy. And Andy Biggs said, you know what? I'm going to stand for speaker because I believe we ought to have a choice and we ought to slow this down and not rush into this because here's a trick. If you're not a new member of the U S house, if you're a new member and you're not experienced, you don't know this. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't believe it. You only get one vote that really matters. That speaker. After that, all the rest of the games you do, you're trying to play swing up. You're, 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 you're swimming upstream. The most power you have is the minute before you vote for speaker. And Andy Biggs knows that. So there it's going to be a lot of hardball. but Andy Biggs, a great man. He's a great, he's a good, solid man. He's a fearless guy. He loves America. He loves his family. He's being attacked now. Fantastic. Stand tall, Andy Biggs, 
If you're listening to this, go check out my press release on Andy Biggs. He's a great guy. We need choices in our leadership. We don't need echoes. We don't need echoes of the past and failures. And if the challenge to the current leadership makes them make clearer what they're going to do and they're not going to be the same as the old days, that's good. In fact, that's great. So more of that. That's a positive thing. So uh, uh, it's, it's a very good uh, development, and I am uh, very proud to encourage people to take a look at uh, the great Andy Biggs and to make sure that you can uh, uh, advocate that everybody figure out what's going on. Slow this thing down. There's no hurry. There's no hurry. So um, Andy Biggs, what a great American. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back. We've got a couple of big interviews today. Uh, we've got an interview, Michael Volpe, catching up with him on how they're messing up the uh, – the families and uh, the, the uh, family courts and uh, and how they're now this time they're using the Indian courts that way. And also David Rubin, the mayor of uh, Shiloh, Israel, on what's happening in Israel. Be right back. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report, back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. It's been a while since we've had my friend Michael Volpe on, and he, of course, is uh, a guy who is an investigative reporter. He's based in Chicago, Illinois, but he writes uh, about all over the country. If you go to his Substack, michaelvolpe.substack.com, you'll learn a lot. I'll tell you that. And one of the things I learned, he sent this uh, piece that he posted a few days ago on ICWA. We were just saying off the air, ICWA, the Indian Child Welfare Act. There's so many things in our American legal system, so many aspects it's impossible to track down but michael has um, not only tracked this one down and done some investigation but has quite a story so welcome back michael and uh thanks for coming on thanks for having me yeah and so tell yeah. me yeah, tell, tell me the tell me the background here give me a give me you pretend i'm a i'm a, a a nitwit you know i don't don't go too far with that but uh tell me what's going on here all right so i i i was contacted by a woman named carrie esparza and she has a story that's similar to a lot of stories in terms of that uh, that I've heard before that a uh, in her case, her ex is a registered sex offender is convicted of uh, not molestation, but it was a family member who was asleep at the time. And then he also got in trouble with a babysitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and and he he has custody. What uh, what's different is he's Native American. And what Carrie didn't know is that this ICWA, the Indian Child Welfare Act, would play a prominent role in her life and her her daughter. And then what's what's even more, I guess, important or timely is there's a U.S. Supreme Court case and they just had uh, the oral arguments on November 9th. It's Brackeen versus Holland and this U.S. Supreme Court will determine whether this Indian Child Welfare Act will will be constitutional what happened in carrie's case is uh she had this child uh her ex uh craig lewis is his name immediately started acting strange she talked to a few friends and a lawyer friend of hers said sounds like he's a child molester you should check and see if he's got a record and she found a record they broke up for a long time and then she made a very fatal mistake she believed he could change uh and before she went to live with him, and he was living, I think, on a reservation. And But before she went to live with him, she went to a court in Cook County by me. And a uh-huh. Cook County judge said, this guy's a registered sex offender. You have sole custody. And so she believed that with that order, 
that everything would be okay. But she started living with him on the reservation. Things went well for a while. And at some point, they fell apart. And she was actually accused of not protecting their daughter, them saying that there was an allegation that his son with another woman was uh, attacking her sexually. And that flipped it to social services. And the way ICWA works is uh, the reservation or the, the Native American tribe has not, maybe not full authority, but significant authority and basically parallel authority if uh, in a number of cases, including child protective services. So the tribe took over. And even though this isn't necessarily written into the law, Craig is Native American. She is not. They favored him regardless of the rules and, and the evidence and anything else. And and there's a writ that was written, and she's not the only one. It basically creates this like parallel universe, it does, that favors the Native American when there's a non-Native American. And in this case, this guy's a registered sex offender. They could care less because he's the Native American and so, so what is this? How does this? Um, how does the? Uh, how does the? Um, this work? Is it because he is a Native American? But what, did all this conduct happen at, on a reservation? It doesn't happen. I, I believe. I believe it did. Oh, okay. but but it's not necessarily clear that it has to. It, the law is very murky. This ICWA. Hmm. So, who knows what you? It's it's unclear when you aren't aren't protected. But I it, in. Most people listening to this may think, well, this doesn't affect me. I'm not Native American. But if you or someone you know happens to date a Native American, it may very well affect you and in a way that you won't necessarily know. Um, I believe that it did, like the the alleged conduct did. But um, even if it didn't, it's not necessarily a guarantee that the ICWA wouldn't get involved. It, it, it just depends on how good the lawyer is in any individual case. Is this, um, we're talking with Michael Volpe again, michaelvolpe.substack.com is his, uh, where, where you'll see a bunch of his writings and investigative work. Um, is this so, uh, you mentioned, I think you said this has happened to others. Do, you, do we have a sense that this is used? I mean, let me characterize this, uh, what I hear, and, mm-hmm. and see if you'll agree. Um, mm-hmm. It's an, it's a bureaucracy that ends up with more power than I think people f- expected or thought it should. And Correct. you don't really know where to go to get mm-hmm. it in check. Cor- Correct. Well, they, they I think people did know because they've gone all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. Okay, right. Okay. And then oh, yeah, this yeah. Bracken versus Halan, they're going to decide. But let me, from the writ, they they... They summarized a couple of other cases. Here's just two that they talked about. Miss Tanya Blackburn, a member of the Delaware Tribes of Indians and the Cherokee Nation of Oklahoma, is a former ICWA child. Miss Blackburn is also an Alliance board member. That's who wrote the writ. Due to ICWA, she was shuttled between foster homes at the Cherokee Nation's guidance and without concern for her best interest, most of which did not respect her traditional practices and failed to protect her safety. And then the next guy, Mr. Andrew By, a Navy veteran, is a non-Native birth father. To a daughter covered by ICWA, the child's native mother struggled with drug addiction and has a history of domestic violence. Because of ICWA, Mr. Bui's procedural rights have been violated, and his daughter has been repeatedly placed with an unfit native mother by the Shakopee uh, CEO community of, of Minnesota. And and they had about 10, and I'm sure there's a lot more than 10. But it, it, the, the one thing that Carrie said that she believes makes it unconstitutional is creates it separate but not equal. 
Um, but it, it definitely favors the Native American if there's one and one. And right. there's probably a lot of evidence of that. And that's how it applies to everyone. If you happen to get into a relationship with someone who's Native American, you you won't even know it until it's too late that this thing is going to screw you over because this is going to – and these tribal courts – they're a kangaroo court, number one. Uh, Carrie told me every time like she's on, they mute her. They don't allow her to speak. It's all the, basically, she's like an outcast, essentially. And that's probably how it works for everyone who's the, not the Native American. And the other thing is they, these tribes make their own rules. So they, it's, it's, I won't say, obviously they've taken it to the U.S. Supreme Court. So there is a way to appeal, but it's not clear how easy it is to appeal, but it basically creates a whole separate system for anyone who's involved with a Native American. It um, it certainly is, um, it, you know, the number, um, again, Michael Volpe is our guest, and if you go to michaelvolpe.substack.com, you'll see his um, his many writings and in his investigative work. Um, Michael, it, it keeps coming back to me. I know it's part of the reason why we have these discussions, but also offline we talk more. It keeps coming to me that there, there's just more and more layers of bureaucracy and but that's not even fair to say because it's not bureaucracy necessarily it's it's more the power uh, it's more powerful than bureaucracy it's not just bureaucrats who do doing something it's the the force of law and the force of the courts and it's mm-hmm. almost like every time you, you you turn over another you know rock you've got another system and they're mm-hmm. all directionally in sort of one way although you know in this case it's it's i guess the native american is in this case is the husband so it's mm-hmm. not it's not you can't yeah, say it's they, they were they were never married, but yes. Okay. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Okay. But, oh, so it's, but, so, go ahead. L- let me let me tell you what I think is the problem with this law, and and I I won't talk about the constitutionality. It's way above my head, and we'll just have to wait for the U.S. Supreme Court okay. to make its decision. When you're dealing with courts, I and I've told you this before, any new proposal should try to fix one of three things: either you reduce the power of judges; judges have way too much power. There's way too much money in the system. You're trying to remove the money. The third thing is you're trying to simplify the system. This complicates it. I, I don't, I, I bet that people who, and there are probably a few lawyers who specialize in it. I bet they can't even explain exactly what happens in any given situation if you have a Native American. This creates this very murky subsystem that's very difficult to define, very difficult to understand. And it just creates another layer, as you said, of bureaucracy and complicates the situation even more. And that's that's my big problem with this law. I think it makes a complicated system and courts are complicated by nature, even more complicated. And look, I, I'm not saying that social services is good in like the regular counties, but to create a whole separate social services system that applies only on reservations just seems like it's a bad idea. Well, that's a, that that's a, and 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 it, it, one um one so, something of a consolation. It's not a real one, I guess. I don't mean is at least in this case you can go to federal court for your appeals, right? You can chase mm-hmm. away up to the Supreme Court. So, I mean, insofar as sometimes the worst some of, some of the worst aspects of of some of the uh, of the decisions in court uh, that devastate families and divide mm-hmm. parents uh, from fathers or mothers from kids are in state courts where you 
you're sort of limited where you can go. But in this case, you can at least go into the federal courts. But as you point out, I, I don't know. It seems like we have a bureaucracy created uh, with all candor in a place right. where I'm not sure that there's any structure. I'm not sure there ever is enough structure, but mm-hmm. any structure that could sustain it. Right. Now, and one thing people should know, Cheryl Atkinson has a federal case against the government, and she put out a post about just how expensive it is. Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly how much it is. It is expensive. Uh, right. This writ was written by the Christian Alliance for Indian Child Welfare. Um, you know, So a nonprofit wrote it, and they... I, I, some of this stuff's above my head. They're challenging the constitutionality of ICWA. So all of these cases that that involve ICWA would would apply. But I I don't know that you can challenge specifically the decision. I see. Itself. I see. Right. Right. I see. Right. And that's yeah. what I mean. Com- yeah. Does that sound complicated? I, it does. I, I'm trying to simplify it as much as I can, but yeah. I'm telling you, that's the problem. Yeah. You're make, you're taking a system that's already too complicated. You're making it even more complicated. You have the, these one areas that are complete, not completely autonomous, but mostly autonomous. And where is their autonomy started? And no one really knows. But as soon as you are like entrapped in it, you can't get out of it. There's nothing she can do. Their rulings are basically like the Bible. And they're, they're, if this was moving from one county to another, you could theoretically give them custody, but you already have an order. And almost always the other county, if it happened to move to another county, would respect the first county's order. They'd never, especially given what's in the order, that, that the judge specifically says he's a registered sex offender. He should not be allowed near that child without a supervisor, I think is the, the wording. And here it winds up on a reservation and they completely ignore the judge's order. They could care less what the Cook County judge said. Yeah, it's um. Well, listen, Michael Volpe, as always, uh, uncovering things I've never even understood to look at, and so uh, ICWA, the Indian Child Welfare Act, and what's going on. Thank you, Michael, and uh, keep up the good work, MichaelVolpe.substack.com. Again, a lot of there, there. Uh, Michael Volpe investigates uh, is the title of it. He does a ton of investigative journalism. Thanks again, Michael. Anytime. All week. right, we'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. It was a while ago now that we had our next guest on as a guest. Uh, David Rubin is the uh, former mayor of the city of Shiloh in Israel, and he also has been a commentator uh, in lots and lots of different moments in, in the history now. Um, and uh, it was important. He's actually called. We're talking to him from Israel. He's in Israel uh, and get an update on what for Americans uh, mayor is kind of confounding. It's kind of to us. It's like, wait, how can there be so many elections? You know, in, in I guess in five years or so. But can you explain where we are? First of all, welcome back to the program. And where where is the Israeli government at the moment? What what is what comes next? What's happening? It looks to Americans like Netanyahu's back, um, but does that mean he's back for long? So uh, thank you for your time. Well, thank you, Ed. Uh, it's good to be with you again. And in answer to your question, well, uh, Israel has a complicated parliamentary system. I'm going to simplify it for you. In Israel's parliamentary system of government, you you have 120 seats in the Israeli parliament, known as the Knesset, 
And the leader who was able to put together, the leader of the party who was able to put together at least 61 individuals, members of Knesset, is the one who has the majority coalition and becomes the prime minister. So Netanyahu uh, is the leader of the Likud. It's the largest party in Israel. And he was able to, uh, his, his what they call his natural allies on the, on the right of center parties, received 64 seats okay. of the 120. So it's a clear majority. Now they're negotiating to see who's going to get what position in the government. And that that process usually takes two to three weeks and sometimes more. Uh, But hopefully by the time that process uh, is over, uh, there will be a stable government in Israel and hopefully for the next four years. That's what I was going to ask is uh, if it if if if. if he had 10 or 12 seats that are, I don't know what the number would be. You can tell me that we're in one of the um, minority parties. If they decide to quit in six months, does the whole thing fold again? Is that why we've seen so many elections? No, the reason why we've seen so many elections is because after the election, neither side, neither the right or the left, has been able to patch together over six, an over 60-seat coalition. I see. I got you. So is, that's uh, the, yeah, that's so the reason. So, but there's, there did get coverage in America that it looked more, this looked was a surprising victory, the, the scope of it, the number of seats, and it may bode well for a period of stability. Is there a sense in Israel that that is what happened? Well, it does make sense uh, that... Uh, that finally uh, there will probably be a coalition of 64 seats, which is stable. And uh, the the people in the coalition have a lot of commonality. Uh, They're they're basic right-of-center ideology, and they should be able to work together. Uh, Previously, you didn't even have that. So... Uh, hopefully that'll be enough to create that stability that Israel so badly needs. Um, we um, we also were reported up to the election that it looked like it was going to be a 50-50 tie. No one thought it would kind of go this way. Why did it go so well for Netanyahu? What, what was the what's the sort of um, issues that fit together? I mean, and he's also under this cloud, I guess, where they're either investigating him or even um, you know under indictment. What, how, but he 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 outperformed the expectations. Yeah. Well, first of all, the the corruption trial. Uh, is is ongoing. And in Israel, you are innocent until proven guilty. So so there's no reason why he has to resign from his position, unless he happens to be found guilty at some point of some uh, serious crime. Right. Uh, but that, that has, we're, we're just not there yet. Right. And at this point, he received the mandate from the people uh, and the, and in particular, the right of center parties received that mandate. Netanyahu's party is only one half of the coalition uh, that's that's in formation. So uh, we're just going to have to see how all all that plays out. But 
Uh, one thing that we can say about Netanyahu is that he, he is a brilliant campaigner. He's a brilliant politician, very shrewd. Uh, some would say too shrewd. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, but he, he was able to uh, campaign in a very good way, and he, and he worked, worked the coalition game and the, the multi-party, very multi-party political game here in Israel. And he did it quite well. And uh, frankly, it wasn't only him. Uh, I would say that the right wing outperformed uh, the left in terms of uh, playing the politics in the correct way and appealing to the right to the right uh, electorates in the right way, and and they got out the vote. Hmm. Uh, we're talking to David Rubin. Uh, he's the former mayor of Shiloh, Israel. He also founded uh, and he's the president of the Shiloh, Israel Children's Fund, which he established after there was a terror attack in which he was hurt, but also his then three-year-old son. Um, extraordinary uh, stories there. Um, I, I want to make sure, uh, Mayor Rubin, to ask you about your book, Confronting Radicals, What America Can Learn from Israel and Trump and the Jews. I think that's an interesting uh, uh, trio put together in one title tell me tell me about that and tell me what um maybe americans miss about what's gone on in the world and with trump and and israel and the jews in terms of understanding how uh to confront some of this these problems okay well let let me first uh uh just to clarify for your listeners we're talking about my two latest books okay the latest book is called Confronting Radicals. Oh, sorry, that's what America saying. can learn from Israel. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, the I'm book not, before you. that, right? Trump and the Jews. Sorry, excuse was me. Trump and the Jews. Pardon me. Okay, so, go, so tell, me, tell me about confronting radicals. That's more. I think we've got we've forgotten that in America a little bit. So tell me about that a little bit. Yeah. Well, the question is how to confront radicals. You know, very often people hear confronting radicals and they think uh, that that we're talking about. Just going out with bricks and 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 rocks and and having an all-out clash. Uh, that that's that's not the way that we go about it. It's not the best way to go about it. And we we don't believe that it's the best way to go about it. Uh, the best way to confront radicals is to do it at the grassroots level and to focus on what it is that they are. Uh, that they are protesting, that they call them peaceful protests. Uh, what what we're, we're actually talking about is a left-wing insurrection. And I, I know that the, the left kind of hijacked that word. Right. Uh, just referring to one particular incident uh, that, that, that uh, at least indirectly involved in. Right. And... Uh, so, so that that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about uh, the mass riots in the streets of American cities that took place over a period of of many months, and and basically what you're talking about is a left wing insurrection, right? Uh, in, in which uh, the the tearing down of national monuments to American heroes, uh, the attacking of government buildings, the uh, the uh, grassroots attempts to infiltrate and undermine the educational system and basically take over uh, the educational system so that the the old values of the United States 
such as the traditional family and the connection with God in the Judeo-Christian heritage, uh, that, that all those things would be undone. And that is the approach of the far left. And they've been quite successful at it. So my book, Confronting Radicals, What America Can Learn from Israel, is how to undo it and to to undo the strategies uh, that the left has been using for years, and many of which are taken from radical Palestinian uh, strategy. Uh, the, the point is that no change is irreversible, and it can be undone. Uh, again, we're talking with David Rubin, uh, former mayor uh, of Shiloh, Israel, a commentator and author of a book, uh, Confronting Radicals, What American Can Learn from Israel, and his previous book, Trump and the Jews. Um, do uh, Americans are funny about it, though, right? I mean, I, we don't a lot of times the left is on the march because uh, conservatives or just regular people don't know how to stand up. They don't know. They don't sort of, it's not sort of in there. Oh, you know, we've been either, we've been in, in, inculcated with this message of tolerance or we don't like the conflict or whatever. In some sense, I think the people in Israel didn't have that luxury. They, they'd already lived, their, their communities had lived through such a period that they could you couldn't, it wasn't possible to say, I'm just going to take this and see how it turns out that you're changing the school name from George Washington to, I don't know what, or, you know, I mean, it, it's the, the moment we're in is, uh, it's a different set of people. And I, I, I take you at your word that nothing is irreversible, but you know, you, you're, the people are where they are. How do you get the people moved along before they confront the radicals? That's an excellent question. And uh, yes, I agree. In Israel, uh, we have not had the luxury of being apathetic about anything. In Israel, uh, we, ha- we know that everything matters, that politics matters, that uh, that, right. that people yeah, have right. to take a stand in their lives yeah. and that you have to be passionate about it. In the United States, the the, the right, uh, I, and I would go as far as saying people on the right and uh, the, the conservative public uh, were so busy raising their families and fo- focused on their individual uh, lives. Uh, and, and then all of a sudden they woke up and they said, Hey, what's going on here? The, the our schools have been taken over. They're teaching all this crazy stuff to our children. What is going on? Like, where did this all come from? But those on the left had a plan. Uh, they, it was a, a strategy that they followed, and and that's why they've succeeded in changing the whole educational system and the media and legal system, and and all of that. It's only in the past few years that people on the right are starting to wake up in America. And it's it's something that has to be done. That that waking up has to be followed by action. Do you think, um, I mean, it's very, very cliched, but one of the powerful aspects of um, Israel is that there's a shared community that is the nation. It's not up for even if you're liberal or conservative, if you're Israeli, you, you I mean, with almost with no almost no exceptions, you're, you're bought into that. Is it is it is one of the traits of what has to happen is, I don't know, get to your own 
people, you know, I mean, it is get to the place where you, you know, if you try to raise your kids in New York City, you, you got to be on constant vigilance and you have to, you know, pay a lot of money to get your kids to a, a private school so that they're not being mistaught and all. If you live in Texas, you got a better chance of sort of having your kids go to school and it works and you can focus on other things is, is sort of getting to a community, a common community, more important than staying in the space where you are. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, that, that, that's true on a physical level. It's also, also true on, uh, on a media level. You know, people, we're, we're in a world which has become a lot smaller. And so, so in theory and, and perhaps in practice, uh, someone in New York City uh, can, can have uh, cooperative relationships built with with people in Tennessee and people in Texas and people in Florida. Uh, but, but of course, uh, physically, uh, it does make sense to be with, with a community. And, you know, and if you're, if you're not uh, happy with the situation, so you, you walk with your feet. And, and that's what we see thousands of people doing, people who have left New York and have gone down to Florida and, and perhaps other places. Right. Um, one quick question. I'm running out of time. And, and our guest again is David Rubin. He's a former mayor of Shiloh, Israel, founder of Shiloh, Israel Children's Fund, also an author uh, confronting radicals of what America can learn from Israel, his most recent book. Um, I, but I, I want to ask about the book before that briefly, obviously, in the next couple of days, President Trump has got a big announcement. Most people think he's going to announce he's running for president. Um, how How is the post-Trump presidency, how is Trump perceived and America perceived by people in Israel? Is it split based on politics like America or is it, is there a broad consensus? How is how, what would you describe? Oh, there is a, a broad consensus uh, that un- understands that Trump was uh, probably the best president for the United States-Israel relationship uh, in history. And and look, people would be very happy to see Trump as president again. People in Israel, right. that is. Um, but of course, you know we're not uh, we're not involved. Uh, the the average Israeli is not involved in American politics in any way, and and uh, we just have to wait and see how it plays out. I, you know. I, I'm sure there's going to be some competition. It appears after yeah. the yeah. midterms, yeah. and uh, per- perhaps uh, DeSantis or you know, and probably Pence. Um, I, uh, and, you know, as I as as we are seeing, DeSantis is enormously popular uh, in Florida, and and he's also uh, he also I, I believe would be. A, a good president as far as the relationship between Israel and the United States. Uh, but we'll just see. That's an internal Republican affair, and yeah. we'll see how it plays out. Yes, for sure. Okay. Uh, David Rubin, again, thank you, former mayor of Shiloh, Israel. I'll put up on social media a link to his book and uh, also to uh, Shiloh, Israel Children's Fund, the uh, 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 effort uh, charity he's established after a terror attack on his family. Uh, thank you, sir, for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, we'll take a break, everybody, and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. 
By opening our southern border to endless streams of illegal aliens and planting them throughout the United States, President Joe Biden has effectively nullified a vast swath of U.S. law. Border towns aren't the only ones feeling the heat anymore, by the way. It's all across the country. The U.S. Supreme Court upheld an injunction against Biden's lawless policy in a case to be argued this term. While that case, entitled U.S. v. Texas, was percolating through the lower courts, there were 2.2 million encounters with illegal aliens over one nine-month period. This surpasses the record set by the entire first fiscal year of the Biden regime, and it's the worst it's ever been, according to Representative Tony Gonzalez, Republican of Texas, whose district includes part of the border. Meanwhile, Biden blocks lawful visitors like tennis star Novak Djokovic from playing in the U.S. Open merely for declining the COVID vaccine. Yet Biden allows millions of unvaccinated illegal aliens to pour over our southern border because they are presumed to be future Democrat voters. A Republican delegation visited the problem firsthand after hearing complaints by the sanctuary city, New York City, Democrat Mayor Eric Adams, about how Texas Governor Greg Abbott had bussed 1,500 of the migrants to his big city. Representative Gonzalez pointed out that that's but a small taste of everyday life on the border, and they're starting to realize it's overwhelming. Texas Representative Gonzalez hit the nail on the head with that one. Crime statistics from Texas show that in the last year, 259,000 illegal aliens were charged with more than 433,000 criminal offenses including 800 arrests for murder and more than 10,000 charges for sexual offenses. Opening the floodgates of immigration won't solve anyone's problems. They will only add the problems of impoverished nations to our own. The best course of action is for the United States to seal all illegal points of entry at our southern border, focus on putting Americans first, and restore our status as a system of government worth emulating. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. What's the latest on building the wall to protect our southern border? To the liberal media, it's a joke. But the crisis of illegal aliens is no laughing matter. At phyllisschlafly.com, we're asking serious questions regarding what to build, who's paying for it, and how best to deploy our military. Go to phyllisschlafly.com and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, um, this is, I put this, file this under uh, my uh, warnings for the future. I, I have been talking to some key folks, smart folks, about what's going on. And there was a story that broke over the weekend. I think it was on, uh, I don't know where it ran. If it run, run on someplace, um, uh, AP or something. But it's a story about another uh, American who was bribed uh, by, corrupted by the Chinese uh, to get them a bunch of information about airplanes. I think it was a former military guy. And I'll put it up on social media. But the fact is this. We have a problem in this country, a big problem. And the problem is with the Chinese, the Chinese regime, hiring, and inf- hiring spies and infiltrating America. It, the, uh, the notion that for 40 or 50 years, the Soviet Union was infiltrating America and creating America, uh, spies in America for the Soviets, the idea that they did that and the Chinese are doing nothing is crazy. 
all around us are is evidence that the Chinese will do anything to get an advantage. They do not have the same sense of ethics uh, that the West has. Their ethics are driven by, frankly, China first, the Chinese communist regime first, more than anything, not the, not the nation. But, you know, party first, that's what they are. It's party first. And they're fearless. Once you know that's their ethic, they're fearless for their party. And they've got spies everywhere. They've got infiltrators everywhere. And we're not paying attention from TikTok to uh, tech transfer to hundreds of thousands of Chinese national students. It goes on and on. And we better wake up. The wake up call is that there are spies among us. Chinese spies among us. And uh, we have to get real about this and, uh, uh, and, and do the right things to stop it. And we're not. I mean, you know, the, uh, someone told me the story about Diane Feinstein staffer, Chinese spy. I mean, Eric Swalwell, co- according to reports, had a um, relationship with, um, with someone who was in the middle of spying. Unbelievable. We have to be aware of the cost of being lazy about this. All right. That's all I've got. Thank you, as always, to Noah Dingley and uh, Joanna Spilger. We'll be back uh, tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.